Good morning. Everybody good? Everybody get to say hello? Good, good. Awesome. Well, excited to uh, continue this series called Partners in the Gospel. We're going through the book of Philippians. If you haven't been here uh, in the last few weeks, we've been going through really just verse by verse, um, taking a few verses at a time and really looking at what the book of Philippians, this letter written by the Apostle Paul, has to say to us. Um, really excited about today. Part of the passages, the passages that we're reading today um, are one of the, the really most clear, most beautiful, most powerful uh, description of what Jesus did for us that is in the Bible. You find that in uh, Philippians 2, 5 through uh, 8, 5 through 11, right there. And so we're going to be reading that along with some verses we covered um, last week, uh, Philippians 1, 27 uh, through 30. And it's important, we want to drop back and catch these because they actually tie together really well. Um, if you're not familiar with the book of Philippians, Philippians was written by a man by the name of Paul. Um, it, Jordan actually read a passage out of Acts 13 where it mentions a man by the name of Saul. Well, Saul was actually the man who became Paul. And later, Saul became Paul, but Saul had an incredible encounter with Jesus that changed his life. Um, and he became an apostle of Christ. In other words, he had this revelation of Jesus, met Christ on this road, going to a city called Damascus. Um, God used him to write many of the letters that we read. He wrote letters to the churches that he was a part of planning, some that he didn't start, um, and wrote letters to some of the people who were partners with him in ministry. And so if you go and read the New Testament, a lot of the books you're going to read were written by Paul. One of those is the letter to Philippians. Go read in Acts chapter 16 about how Paul planted, started this church in Philippi. Incredible things happened there. It wasn't without some difficulties, but God did incredible things there. And now Paul, under house arrest, is writing this letter back to this church that he started. Um, you can hear the affection Paul has for the Philippians in the letter. It was a, a great uh, fondness for them that he had. Um, and so as we go through this, keep those things in mind. I would encourage you, go back and read Acts 16 and see how this um, church was started. And you'll understand why Paul loved this church the way he did. And it's really a letter where he's thanking them a lot for the partnership they have in the gospel. So let's turn to Philippians then, the letter to the Philippians. Um, chapter, chapter 1 is where we're going to start. And we're going to read beginning in verse 27. And it says this, it says, Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. It's a big part for today. In a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him, since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Chapter 2, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, 
having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of uh, the others. And listen to this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So, Father, we do thank you. We thank you this morning for your word and its truth. Thank you that you give us such a clear example of your love for us, for what your love moved you to do for us. We do thank you this morning that the Spirit, that He is moving amongst us even right now. I pray, Lord, that we would open our hearts to receive what He has to say to us today. Your Word tells us that the Spirit would lead us into all truth, and so I pray for that today, Lord, that as we look at your Word, that you would lead us into all truth, that our minds would be renewed, that our hearts would be shaped and molded even more to be like yours, that our flesh, our own desires would be subdued, that we could be a people who are glorifying to you. And that God, as we would stand before you on that day, that we would be able to hear, well done, good and faithful servant, we would have lived our lives for you and not for ourselves because God you're worthy of all that we have all that we can offer so God I pray today that there would be a renewed sense of that for us that we God would offer our lives to you again just move in our hearts Lord we love you in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Well, there are, um, I'm going to set it up kind of like this. There, there are some things that are elusive in the world, elusive, that, that are hard to, to uh, grab hold of. They seem to always be just out of our reach. And I was thinking about this. You know, I like to use pictures. I think it helps us visualize what we're talking about. And so I thought about this. There, there's a couple of things I want to show us pictures of to get our mind on this and set right. So here's one of those elusive things that we just can't ever seem to quite get our hands on. How about this right here? Loch Ness Monster. You need Duck Dynasty fans in here. You used to love Duck, Duck Dynasty. Some of you still watch the rewind. Remember, Cy almost caught him, caught Loch Ness Monster one time. But elusive. Can't seem to quite get our hands on, on old Nessie, right? How about this guy right here? Yeah, him. And, and some of you are like, I saw him. No, you didn't. But, and then we've got shows where it's like Bigfoot Hunter. You know what I'm talking about? And they're slapping trees and yelling. And I'm like, are these people serious? You know? 
but he, he's just elusive. And then, uh, you know, it's one of those things where we can't quite get our hands on. There's those things in life where we, we can't quite get our hands on. We can't, it just seems elusive. Um, then there's some things that are a lot more serious than that, right? For some of us, joy, or at least consistent joy, it seems to be elusive. For some of us, peace seems to be elusive, right? Uh, these are things that it's hard to seem to capture, to, to wrap our arms around, to really hold on to. Um, and one of the things that affects all of us and really affects who we are in Christ and what we're called to and the purpose we're called to in life that seems to be elusive for the church is unity, is unity. It, it doesn't take us long to look around at the church within this church, within the church at large, within any church to find that unity is a difficult thing to hold on to. Paul here talks about how important unity is. He, he really talks about how this is the one thing he says that makes our life worthy of the gospel. He says to live your life in a manner worthy of the gospel. And if you read verse 27 and the way the Greek and all this is structured, chapter two is kind of in a bad place because really um, the therefore there in chapter two, verse one, I'm telling you this so you can kind of get the full picture, but the therefore really points back to verse 27. And he's saying this basically, if you really wanna make my joy complete, what would make me joyful is that you would live a life that is worthy of the gospel. And when he says you in this part, he means y'all. He said, if you would live a life worthy of the gospel, and he says the way this would happen, what would make my joy complete is if you would live in unity, if you would live together in such a way that nothing could separate, nothing could Sever, nothing could splinter you. And he tells us in these verses that we're called to stand firm. We're called to strive together for the gospel. We're called to the same love, all of these things. And yet it seems so elusive for us. It seems hard for us to, to get this. We take so much offense and, and we, we get so angry so quickly. We walk away so fast. Why? Why is that? Because unity is so important. Unity in and of itself is a weapon. It's like a shield against the enemy. Unity and togetherness gives us security, gives us strength, gives us courage. Many of you have been in situations, tough situations, and you know that when you face those tough situations with other people, you felt much more secure, much stronger, much more courageous than you ever would have felt alone. Unity in and of itself is a weapon. Unity in and of itself announces the gospel. It shows the world around us that there is something bigger in our lives than ourselves. It announces the gospel. And we can say this, we can say, well, there are a lot of people who've been united around a lot of causes. What's the difference? The gospel movement has been going on for 2,000 years. 
There may be people who've united around other causes, but not for 2,000 years. And this movement continues. And our unity around the gospel, around the good news of Jesus, around Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, is an announcement in and of itself of the gospel. It's like God saying, if you can be a people who overcome your differences and offenses, if you can be a people who stand firm together in one spirit in the face of opposition, if you can be a people who strive together as one to share the gospel, to be a people who are sent, if you can come together and be a people who aren't frightened or shaken by the world around you, even in the face of suffering, if you can do these things, then you can show the world that you are something divine, something of God. Because of those things, I know this, that unity is God's ideal for the church. Togetherness, this inseparable nature, it is God's ideal. The longest prayer we have of Jesus in Scripture, recorded in Scripture, is in John 17, and it is a prayer for unity. It's that important. If unity is that important, why is it so elusive? Why is the church coming together, surrounded, um, coming together, um, pushing forward with the gospel, united around it? Why is it so hard? Well, Paul in here, he gives us the right steps to take. Look at uh, Philippians chapter 2, verse 2. He gives us the right steps to take. He says, make my joy complete. We know he's talking about be a unified church, unity coming together in this. He says, then make my joy complete. He says, here's how you do that. Be like-minded. Having the same love being in one spirit and of one mind. And back up just a second, because what he's telling us in this is a little more than maybe what we see here in our translation. When he says be like-minded, like-minded is actually a verb in the way it's written. That means there's an action to be taken. It means to deliberately set my mind on the same thing as you. It means you and I make a choice to set our minds on the same thing. It's not based off of my feelings. It's based off of what I know to be true. And so we make a deliberate choice to set our mind on the same thing. He says to have the same love. The word for love is agape. It is a love of choice, of the will. It's not a love of feeling. It means that I make a willful choice to love you. We in the West think about love as this emotion and feeling. But, but in in uh, the Greek, what it means is to willingly choose to love you. What God's done for us. It's agape love that moves beyond feeling to choice, to an action of my will. And then he says, being of one spirit and of one mind. He goes back to this again. Set your mind on the same thing. So what he's telling us is this unity is something that is a choice. It's something that is an action. It's intentional. It's deliberate. It's something that we make a choice to do. 
It's an act of our will, an act of our mind, a choice to think a certain way, to not let our feelings lead us astray out of these things. And so he gives us these steps. He says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. How many of you would admit that the first person you think of a lot of times is you? Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. So he gives us the steps right here. This is all we have to do. Let's be intentional about where we set our minds. Let's make a choice to love each other. Let's be in one spirit and, and really make a willful choice to love and to set our minds on the gospel and on Christ. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but now in humility, everybody humble yourself and elevate others above yourself. So we've got the steps, so let's dismiss and we'll be a unified church, right? It doesn't work like that. If it were that easy, then the church would be different. We'd look different. It's not that easy. And here's the thing. He gives us the right steps. And here's the other thing. As Christians, we love steps. Just give me a five steps, preacher. Just give me five steps to joy. Give me five steps to a better marriage. Give me five steps. Give me, give me three steps, Leonard Skinner. Anyway, just give me some steps to do. But here's the thing. I can give you the right steps, but if you don't start in the right place, you're not going to end up in the right destination. Okay? I can give you the right steps, but if you don't start in the right place, you're not going to end up in the right destination. Think about this. I can give you a treasure map that tells you all the steps, right? But if you don't start in the right place, you're not going to end up in the right place. How about this one? I want to give you another example. I've got a couple more pictures. Now, look at this first picture of this, of this beach, of this tropical paradise. Doesn't that look lovely? I want you to think about this. Say your feet are right where that picture starts at the bottom. All right? It is a hot July day. You have been on the ocean or on the beach all day drinking Diet Coke. <laughs> Somebody got a kick out of that. <laughs> all right, preacher. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you've been on the beach it is hot it's sweaty right you're already sunburned and your feet are right there at the bottom of that picture and I said all right here's the thing I want you to do I want you to take 10 steps forward and you'll find refreshment but that's all I take take 10 steps forward and you'll find refreshment would that be a good thing it's not a trick. There's not a shark out there that I know of. Yeah, it'd be a good thing. You'd find refreshment. Take 10 steps forward, 
Remember that, 10 steps forward. Now look at this next picture. Some of y'all are like, oh my gosh! Like just the picture of the, 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 the heights, right? Now I give you the same steps. Take 10 steps forward and you'll find refreshment. Huh? That's <laughs> like, yeah, you'll get some wind through your hair. But like, anybody want to take that, those 10 steps? But are the steps any different? No. What's different is where you start. And here's the thing I want you to see today. I want you to recognize this today. Just because you know the right steps, it doesn't mean you're going to get to the right place if you don't start in the right place. And one of the big issues for the church, one of the big issues that's happened in the church is that we've given people what to do without telling them why they should do it. We have often had people come in and we will give them steps. If you want to have joy, if you want to have this, if you want to achieve this, then take these steps. But when we start with what, we're not starting in the right place. We need to start with why. Why would you do this? To tell somebody to offer themselves as a living sacrifice to God doesn't make sense if they've never seen the mercy of God. To tell somebody to cast off their sin and to crave pure spiritual milk, as it says in 1 Peter, when they've never tasted that the Lord is good, it makes no sense. And you can say, look, this is gonna make your life better if you'll do these things, but that's not gonna last very long. Because your flesh is going to cry out for what you want. You, your desires will ultimately take over and we will once again find ourselves living in selfish ambition and vain conceit. We have often told people in the church, if you will do this, God will do that. That's how it's come out. And what we conclude from that is, I will so he will. I will live right so he will love me. I will do right so I will be accepted. I'm gonna live right so that good things will happen. I'm gonna live right so he'll be pleased with me and bless me. But you know where all of that begins is I. I. And just doing the right steps, trying to live by the right steps doesn't deal with the greatest core issue that I have that is my flesh, that is my desires, specifically my pride. You think about this. What's that the, what's, what letter is in the center of pride? There's five letters, P-R-I-D-E. What letter is at the center of pride? I, and there is the issue. The person we see in the mirror every morning is the issue with unity. Paul even directs us to this towards the end. He's speaking about corporate unity, but he says in verse four, he says, not looking to your own interests, but each of you. See, the weak link is each individual person. 
It calls all of us to be intentional in this. But our pride, our selfish ambition, our sensual desires, these things get in the way and the right steps won't fix a broken heart. Just doing what we're called to do doesn't sustain. When we come to faith, we're given a new heart. The Bible tells us the Holy Spirit does this, but this flesh, this flesh that we have, this desire, this sinfulness, it still lurks in our body in our soul. And Paul says this, he says, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Yet our flesh cries out for that. And he sets this selfish ambition and vain conceit against humility and valuing others above yourself, not looking to our own interests, but looking to the interest of others. He says, rather than trying to elevate yourself above others, elevate others above yourself, because this is the work of humility. This is where humility happens. This is what humility looks like. When we tell people, start with what? Take these five steps, do these four things, do these three things. It will lead us to this, I will, so he will, which is driven by selfish ambition, which is driven by my pride, which is driven by my own desires. But when I can get to the place where I start with why and I can see why, then it changes that whole phrase. It's no longer I will, so he will. It becomes he has, therefore I will. It's a completely different way of looking at it. No longer is it I will, so he will. It is he has, therefore I will. This is driven by humility. In view of God's mercy, I'll offer myself as a living sacrifice. This is the reasonable thing I can do in view of what he has done. Now that I've tasted how good the Lord is, I'll rid myself of sin. I'll crave pure spiritual milk. This is a huge difference. It's an entire change in our worldview and how we see God, how we see our purpose, how we even see ourselves and each other. I'm not doing this so he will. I'm doing this because of what he has already done. He has, therefore, I will. And Paul lays this out for us. Very seldom will you ever see in the Bible that God tells us what to do without telling us why we should do it. And Paul lays this out. He begins, uh, one, with our own experience, and then he gives us Jesus' example. So in our own experience, he tells us in verse 1, Therefore, if you have any encouragement, from being united with Christ, any comfort in his love. Again, we lose so much in our translations. Basically, encouragement and comfort are both speaking about these persuasive addresses. 
like persuasive speeches, that those words is, is what they literally would mean. In other words, basically what Paul is saying, if, if you've had any impartation of courage, if you've received any impartation of comfort, if you've received any strength from what you've gotten from Jesus, then, then make my joy complete. He's saying if, if you've had any persuasion from his love, if it's persuaded you at all, if it's moved you at all, then make my joy complete. And when he says if, he's not saying it because he's uncertain if they have. He's not saying if, if you have done this. He's saying certainly I know you have done this. It's not that he's wondering. He's saying I know you've received this. He goes on and he says, if you've had any common sharing in the spirit, has there been any stirring of the spirit in our life, the presence of God? Has God done this for you through Christ and through his Holy Spirit? He says, any tenderness. Again, this word is better to be understood as affections, but not even just as affections. It means a word that means like deep in our bowels. We don't use that word very much, right? Kind of sounds gross. But he's basically saying this affection that you have that is deep inside of you, that has moved you in the deepest part of your being. It's, it's that place where we feel extreme joy or we feel extreme grief that deepest place. He's saying if you have any affection from Christ that has moved you in your deepest part of your being. Then he says, if you've had any compassion, in other words, the outworking of all of that in you, if you've experienced God working this out in your own life, expressed to others, he says, then make my joy complete. He knows they've experienced all this. He's saying, if he has done this in your life, then make my joy complete. Be unified. Live together, striving for the gospel. Don't let petty things get in the way. Don't stop short of all that God's called you to. And he gives us our own experience. He says, I know you've experienced this, therefore. In other words, he has, therefore I will. He has done all of this inside of me, for me and through me. Therefore, I will. Offer my life. I won't get offended. I won't hold on to offense. He has, therefore, I will. He goes on and gives us the example of Christ. So it's our experience, it's Jesus' example. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. In other words, in how you relate to each other, think like Christ. Have on your mind what was on Jesus's mind. Isn't that an interesting thought? What was on Jesus's mind? Well, he tells us. He says, who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. He's saying, have this mindset. And see, here's the thing he tells us. He says that Jesus came in the very nature of God. Yet it says 
that nature and what he came to do was not something to hold on to. See, he could have held on to everything that was so good and so great, but he couldn't hold on to it and accomplish his purpose. This is what he's saying. Jesus' glory was never gone. It was more like it was veiled. His power was never gone. It was more like it was set aside because his purpose couldn't be accomplished unless he came in the form of a person to die for people. I think about all the different places where Jesus was ridiculed, offended, all of those things. I think about in the, the, the garden, we were talking about this a Friday where Jesus is about to be arrested and they take a step towards him and Peter pulls out his sword and he cuts off the soldier's ear. You know why he cut off his ear? Because he missed. He wasn't going for his ear. He wanted to cut off his head. You think he went, I'm going to cut his ear off. No. No. And yet Jesus is like, put up the sword. You know, you, you go, you'll die by the sword. Put it up. And Jesus could have right then ended it all. He could have said, look, guys, this is far enough. He could have called down angels. He could have done whatever. He could have called down fire from heaven, whatever. But he didn't. He chose to be arrested because only through his arrest and what would come after it could he save us. Jesus is on the cross. He's getting ready to breathe his last breath. And they're down there mocking him. They're saying, let him save himself. Let's see if he'll call down angels. Let him save himself. And see, Jesus could have saved himself, but he humbled himself to death, even death on a cross, which was seen as a curse. Rather than saving himself, he chose to save us. And he had the ability all along that he could have stopped it. And yet he didn't. And this is so rich, so deep, y'all. We could go forever on this. But can you imagine? Because this is how I thought about it. Can you imagine having someone beat you to death while you're holding a loaded gun? This is kind of like what this would be like. You could easily defend yourself. You could easily stop it. But choosing not to. That's what Jesus did. He could have saved himself, but he chose to save us. Here's one that's even harder. I want you to think about the father in that situation. And this is hard, y'all. But this is the reality of what we're looking at. Can you imagine someone beating your child to death while you hold a gun? And instead of saving, you turn your head. There's some mama bears in here that's like, uh-uh. See, the father could have saved the son, but he chose to save us. 
when we see that and the spirit is inside of us, the spirit that we share, that should move us. Because you know what? It moved God. Look at verse 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Here's the exclamation mark on he has, therefore I will. Here is the exclamation mark. The Father saw what Jesus did and he says, you know what? Therefore, since he did this, I'm going to exalt him to the highest place. I'm going to put him in the highest place and give him a name that's above every name. I'm going to give him authority that's above every authority. Everything will be at his feet. And, and he exalted in this place that one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. In other words, everyone will humble themselves before the Lord because he humbled himself so much that he died and died a death on the cross for you and I when he could have saved himself. And here's where I get to with that. If God's response to what Jesus did was to exalt him to the highest place, what should my response be? If I've experienced the riches of what he's given because of what he's done, and if I can see the example of what he did for me, then why would I not set him at the highest point in my life? And yet here's the thing I know for every single person in here. There are things in our life right now that hinder us, that, that, that are, are still competing for that spot in Jesus's seat. And yet today we need to see this again. We need to understand this. And my prayer is that the Spirit would stir our hearts in such a way that it would become clear that our own experience would be relived again and again and again with Christ. That, 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 that we would see again who Jesus is and what he has done. And that we would literally say, he has, therefore, I will. He has, therefore, I will. I'm gonna strive for unity, to live a life worthy of the gospel of Christ. I'm gonna seek to do what Paul said would make his joy complete, not because it was Paul and making him happy, but because it meant the gospel would go forward. This is what I'm going to do. He has, therefore, I will. And here's, here's the reality. Chase talked about getting real in the beginning. Here's the reality, guys. There's, there's places every one of us in this room are holding out on God. And it's not about doing the what or just saying, let's surrender. Okay, let's surrender. But look, it's about seeing the why and then responding to the why. He has, therefore I will. He has, therefore I will. 
And in those places we've been holding out, listen, today would be a great day to make that response. He has, therefore, I will humble myself. He has, therefore, I will make this choice. I'm gonna take this step of faith. I'm gonna take that next step. And we talk about unity, and I think a great place for us to start is praying together. And I would say this, if today in seeing what Jesus has done, today if, if it stirs your spirit in that experience of his encouragement and comfort and love and, and tenderness and compassion, if it stirs that in you and you said, yeah, he has, therefore I will. I'm ready to take that step. I'm ready to move forward. Let's be a unified church. Let's be a sent church. Let's be a church that does plant all these churches. Let's be a church that does send people to Turkey for 30 days. But let's also be a church that'll cross the street and share the gospel with our neighbor. Here's what I wanna do. I wanna ask you if you would, as a family, we're gonna to pray together. And today we see this, he has, therefore I will. I wanna ask you to get out of your seat. I want us to come together here and pray. That means like you have to get up and, and come forward. Like, like we're gonna to pray together. He has, therefore I will. Uh, I'm not comfortable coming forward. That's okay, neither was the cross. Let's come forward and let's pray together. Let's be a united family. Let's truly be heart and soul. Listen, for some of you in here right now, man, I'm just gonna take this as a, as a, as a guess. There's probably somebody in here right now that there's something you've hold, you're holding against them. Well, how about find forgiveness for that? In other words, what, what, what is holding you back is bitterness. It's holding you back is, is not letting that go. But he has, therefore I will. He has forgiven me, so I'll forgive. For some of you, man, it's just, it's just holding back, giving him everything. He has, therefore I will. He gave it all. We're gonna pray and we're gonna believe. I want you to look around. This is what I want you to do. I want you to see the people who are here. Can you imagine if we live striving together for the gospel? What can happen? Father, I thank you for that. I thank you, Lord, that when you were offended, you didn't say a word. That when you could have saved yourself, you chose to save us. God, all of us have found offense in something. I pray, Father, that we could let that go. Holy Spirit, would you move? We, we sing a song, fire and wind, come and do it again. Holy Spirit, would you move right here, right now, through us? God, we don't despise the day of small beginnings. Compared to the world, this is a small group. And yet, God, we know what you can do with a few who give it all. God, you have and we will. We give it all to you, Lord. We give it all to you. We give it all to you today. Take it all, Lord. That you would be glorified. Jesus, I know 
right now that you are seated at the right hand of the Father. High and exalted. I pray, Lord, that you would be exalted in our hearts. High above everything else. That we would set our mind on heavenly things. Not on things on this earth. That we would humble ourselves in view of what you've done and in view of who you are. I thank you, Lord, for each person here. Father, I pray you would stir their hearts long after we've gone. God, even right now, would you come and rest on us together? Unite us in one spirit, even right here even right now. We love you, God, and we praise you, Lord. Come and rest on us.